Malolele, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susana Suisuiki. Coming up... Having access to hospital care, this is a widespread problem. The Pacific community in New Zealand's South Island discuss issues ahead of elections. Also... It teaches us how to grow and how to survive. A new gardening club led by a Tongan church emerges in East Auckland's Tamaki area. And later, just one more sleep until the Rugby World Cup kicks off in France. New Zealand's South Island has one of the fastest growing Pacific populations in the country. Communities there were only further strengthened when uniting against the spread of COVID-19. As a result, Pacifica had the fastest vaccination rates out of any other group. However, the impacts of the pandemic further exacerbated pre-existing issues like the cost of living, Pacific pay gap, education and housing issues. Alicia Foon spoke with Pacific community leaders in the South Island as they weighed in on the political debate, breaking down what people within their region need ahead of the election. In the heart of Oamaru resides a thriving Pacific community, which makes up 20% of the 14,000 people that live there. Here our Tongan our community are our largest uh, Pacific ethnic um, group, followed by our Tuvaluan families, and we have an increasing Fijian our community. That's Hana Halalele, Waitaki District's first Pacifica deputy mayor. Groceries are uh, really expensive. We have increases with interest rates with our mortgages, um, and then that increases also uh, the rental payments for a lot of families. Down here in the south as well, we have a lot of uh, seasonal workers um, that are at our freezing works, and they're currently in off-season. Challenging time, um, especially during winter when you've got an increase in electricity bills. You have a house full of children to feed, uh, and you're, you're out of work. And if you're on a work visa, then you're not eligible for any uh, government support uh, from work and income. In Christchurch, University of Canterbury Director of Māori, Pacific and Rainbow Student Services, Ricky Welsh, says future governments need to prioritise more Pacific-based research and focus on mental health impacts of the Christchurch earthquakes. A particular niche that has not been researched is Pacific people. So Pacific young people that have grown up during the time, earthquake generation, what are the issues going to be? And what is anyone doing about it? You don't see anything uh, for the Canterbury-based issues. Um, in national politics at the moment. He says overall the Ministry of Pacific Peoples under Labour has been fruitful. I do worry about a government that may remove some of these agencies which have helped increase cultural identity. And I think the South Island would suffer worse than the North Island uh, because simply for the fact there's so many less of us here. In Dunedin, Reverend Alofalale says people need higher wages to survive. Everything's going up, up, up and... Wages are not meeting that, you know, there's a big Pacific pay gap there that needs to be bridged and um, bring, you know, people's wages up to parity with with non-Pacific. She says people have a lot to consider come this election. As Pacific people, Labour has always been, you know, a party that you will align yourself with, you feel that this is the party that looks after you and the faith is still there for for many people in terms of um, movement for the future but there is also a lot of ifs and a lot of um, questions and so I think people are lacking a bit of confidence. Invercargill-based surgeon Dr George Nye says he feels let down. 
Like many of this government's policies, it, it doesn't get, translate into meaningful actions. Hopefully, after the elections, there would be a change. But again, realistically, this, this would depend on availability of funding for the health space. We are concerned that the government has a large debt. He says unlike Auckland and Wellington, people living in rural South Island and small towns experience their own set of health challenges. The main need is to access medical care, both having access to GPs, having access to hospital care. This is a widespread problem, both in mainstream and ethnic communities, but it's more acute with more serious consequences in the Pacifica community. Pacific community leaders will be visiting hotspots around the South Island in the coming weeks to provide civic education for eligible voters ahead of the 14 October poll. Mental health access and integration are key topics at this year's Pacifica Medical Association conference. There's plenty of challenges, but also some good news out of the Cook Islands. Caleb Fotheringham, who's been attending the meeting in Rarotonga, has the story. A young Cook Islands choir opened the conference to the 600 doctors, nurses and health professionals who made the trip from around the region to attend. Key topics were non-communicable diseases. We also have high disease burden of non-communicable disease. The number of healthcare workers. We struggle, I'm sure everybody else in the region and globally, with the shortage of health professionals available. And also mental health. Siulalili Dr George Tuatama, who looks after the mental health services in Samoa, says there is a lot of ignorance. There's always a stigma with mental health patients and discrimination, and I don't think it's something that's going to go away anytime soon. You know the mental health disorders are sort of cursed beliefs of traditional origins. In the Cook Islands, a one-of-the-kind study found Cook Islanders born in the Pacific have better outcomes than those born in New Zealand. Dr Sam Manuela, who conducted the study, surveyed about 10% of the country's population. He found younger people are reporting more symptoms of anxiety and depression. However, compared to New Zealand, Dr Manuela says less people are experiencing severe depression symptoms. We do find in New Zealand that those who are Pacific-born have better outcomes than those who are New Zealand-born. So you know, there's, there's something happening here in the Cook Islands that is good for our mental health. Dr Jimmy Orbed, Vanuatu's first and still only psychiatrist, says people are still dealing with the stress caused from the back-to-back tropical cyclones that arrived within days of each other in March. Now they need to think about the fast-approaching next cyclone season. We're going into um, cyclone season pretty soon at the end of this year, November to April the next year. So that's something that we also have at the back of our mind and how we are going to you know, recover while still recovering from the twin cyclones, now preparing for this uh, cyclone season. Dr Sione Vaka from the University of Waikato ran a session on supporting people with dementia. Dr Vaka says Pacific people need to see themselves in mental health services. He says current services in New Zealand and some in the region are based on foreign framework and not on the indigenous way of thinking. Dr. Vaka says Pacific Healthcare focuses on building a relationship and later asking illness questions. For us, I need to know you 
before I tell you what's inside my heart. And if I don't know you, I don't trust you, and I won't tell you what's bothering me. Dr George Tuitama says cultural and traditional beliefs need to be integrated into mental health treatment. In a mental health therapy and mental health treatments, we have multidisciplinary approaches. And spiritual and traditional and cultural aspects have to be taken into consideration. We cannot treat patients fully with mental disorders and mental illnesses without encompassing their full cultural background. The Pacifica Medical Association Conference finishes on Monday local time in Atutaki. The International Organization Conciliation Resources has been operating around the Pacific for more than 20 years. It has spent considerable time through that period in the autonomous Papua New Guinea region of Bougainville, which was the centre of a devastating conflict through the 90s. Many issues still impact on people, and it is into this environment that Kieran O'Toole from Conciliation Resources has spent a lot of time. Don Wiseman asked him about the nature of work he's been doing. What we do is work on the drivers of conflict. So what drives conflict within a context? So within Bougainville, we work um, with, in particular, local partner organizations, the Nazareth Center for Rehabilitation, better known for its uh, lead person, Sister Lorraine. And we've worked in Bougainville really since the early 2000s with a bit of hiatus for about 10 years and came back and started to work quite largely, or quite a large program from 2015. So the work we do, we really support the Nazareth Centre in their work in building or enabling local leaders to be able to identify conflict issues, analyse local conflict issues, and then develop their own peace-building initiatives to address them. Some of that can be local dialogue, uh, can be local development initiatives, can be mediation initiatives. And these, when I say local leaders, it's primarily, it can be women leaders, can be local community leaders, it has been youth leaders, ex-combatant leaders, and others. All in all, I don't have the figure at the top of my head, but at least 1.2, you know, 1,200 uh, people from across the, the Bougainville have been, have been through this training. Sometimes it's a three-week training, sometimes it's a, it's, a, it's a one-week training. So that's sort of like the core of what we would call partner work. We've also worked with ex-combatants. So we've, we've actually brought ex-combatants to and politicians from both mainland Papua New Guinea and Bougainville to Northern Ireland and Scotland uh, and Scotland as well. This is pre-referendum. And what we call comparative learning. So comparative learning is bringing, I suppose, experiences, bringing learning from one conflict context or one peace process to another. And we do this really around the world. And with Bougainville, it was South Sudan, Northern Ireland. And it was like, it was it's that sort of like, what can be learned or garnered from these experiences and, a, and, and sort of like brought in by Bougainvillians to their journey in a sense. So we've, we've done quite a bit of that over the years. We've also done that with Solomon Islands. So we brought some ex-combatants to meet other ex-combatants in Solomon Islands. We've also been involved in um, political level work, political um, level dialogue between both governments. So in the lead up to the referendum, civilization resources, in partnership with the UN, co-facilitated what was called the post-referendum ministerial task force, which was really a dialogue process at a ministerial level in the lead-up to the referendum and to discuss how to resolve issues in the post-referendum period. How do you measure whether or not you are having the desired effect? That's one of the difficulties in, in our work. What we do is we basically we monitor 
we uh, follow up with in particular participants. So if you think about the work we do, it tends to, you can do training, you can do work, it could take five years before it actually takes effect. And a lot of it is the non-recurrence of violence. Really the way we judge it is through what we call case studies, case studies of ex-combatants moving away or transitioning out of being ex-combatant leaders into being political leaders or community leaders. That's one sort of direct example of how we monitor it. The other would be really case studies or studies of how communities, where there's tension between communities, how those tensions have been alleviated through whatever dialogue or mediation process occurred. And some of it is through extensive interviewing of participants over years. So it, it's a very ingrained sort of long-term approach that we have to monitoring and to assessing their effects. Some of it's quite easy, as I say, where you, know, you find a political solution through providing mediation support, very easy. And at a community level, it is quite difficult to add attribution, but it's something that you have to monitor all the time. When you're operating at community level and you're outsiders, how can you really relate to people and relate to their situations when you don't have all that background? Yeah, we don't see ourselves as bougainvilleans. It's not the way we operate, really. There are two sides to this. There are advantages to being outsiders when it comes to mediation in particular at a political level because you come with a relatively impartial or the perceptions of being impartial. So whether that's the comparative learning as I described, you know, the experiences from different parts of the world or whether it's direct facilitation and mediation, that, you know, as outsiders, you're bringing sort of the technical ability to do that. And as outsiders, you can be, you're perceived as impartial and we very much work to ensure that that perception of impartiality is maintained. At a community level, we do not work at a community level and we would never see ourselves as doing that because we don't have the lived experience to do so. What we do is we support, we work with the Nazareth Centre for Rehabilitation, specifically in Bougainville, to provide resources, funding, uh, but also to add to their existing expertise and learning their capacities as an organisation to be able, for them to be able to work within those communities. I think it's folly, it's dangerous as outsiders to think that we are, in a sense, experts at a community level. That expertise stops with sort of what we call the more direct work. To close off Tongan Language Week, our next story is from a Tongan community in East Auckland's Tamaki area who have set up a new gardening club to grow their own food to combat the high cost of living. But the future of the land they've planted on is also destined for housing. I spent a day in Tamaki and checked out one of these gardens. Hello, chicken. Are you happy? Pilkington Road in Tamaki is where Haitelinisia Manu planted her roots when she arrived from Tonga a decade ago. They like their name. This way. With food prices increasing, Haitelinisia decided to plant her own edible garden. Look. Just another one there. Every morning. I came pick 15 eggs. The rise of produce and meat, it's a lot, especially with the income that we have. 
So the only other option to help with our living situation was to do my own gardening, grow my own veggies, so that we would, wouldn't be spending a lot of money on, on things that I can grow. Just around the corner is Pili Lolosili Sikulu. She's lived all her life here and says giving gardening a go was the best decision she's made. So when the opportunity had come up where we could grow it um, in the community, that was probably one of the biggest reasons why I took it on was, was to learn how to grow something and also um, I could benefit from it while prepping for my grandma. Other members of the Mea Ofa Fungani Methodist Church in Tamaki have followed Haitelinistia and Pili Lolo's lead, planting crops in their backyards, and it's catching on with other neighbours. Horticulturalist Therese Mango says gardening has brought the community closer together. When we go back to gardening, because we, we, we were all once gardeners, so that kind of brings back our connections, not only to um, the family and who we're living with, but to the community that's around us. Despite the community wanting to see more of these gardens, tools, water tanks, soil, seeds and other essential equipment will be needed. With limited funding available, this could become a stumbling block. But looming over this gardening group's backyards is intensified housing. More than 2,000 old state houses have been demolished, making way for more than 10,000 mixed-tenure buildings to be built across Tamaki's three suburbs. And it will be built on these sites where people have planted their crops. The development had been fiercely opposed by the community from the start, and Auckland Council Community Advisor Petelo Isigelu admits there's still some bitterness. He says accessing suitable land will be a challenge, something local and central government could help with. So at the moment it's... Um, there's a ad hoc um, approach where some councils are funding it, but there's not actually a regional focus on community gardens. Tamaki is a low socio-economic suburb, and at the local shops there's no shortage of fast food restaurants. There are 17 outlets in the area with a Burger King currently under construction. Isigielu says he understands the community's frustrations as they actively try to promote healthier kai. As someone that works, that's from Gleninus, I don't think they're needed, but um, on the flip side, they are offering employment to, to local people as well. Although gardening requires a lot of time and effort, Haitelenisia says it's worth it as it keeps her and her family grounded to their Tongan values. Because this is how I was raised. It's good exercise and it's also good for my families so that it teaches us how to grow and how to survive. And in this country, money is always a requirement to get everything that The Rugby World Cup is set to kick off in France. It's the most popular sports event for many Pacific Island nations, in particular Tonga, Samoa and Fiji. Fina Funua has more. Fiji will be the first Pacific Island nation to kick off their Rugby World Cup campaign when they face Wales in Bordeaux on Sunday local time. Having defeated England 30-22, Fiji are the favourites to beat Wales and are considered by many fans to be the dark horse of the competition. Fiji defence coach Graham Dews says his team can match any side. It's another challenge for us, but... um for us, we have world-class forwards, and one of the things that I keep telling telling our boys is that you know we are just as good as any other team in this competition, and and as long as we work hard and look after each other, um, you know 
we can go into games confident that we can match any team in this World Cup. And Wales isn't underestimating the flying Fijians. Wales last faced Fiji in Cardiff in 2021, defeating them by 38 points to 23. Coach Warren Gatlin says his team are preparing for the Fijian backline, who are known for their speed, pace and tackle-breaking runs. We've spoken as a group saying you know, at some stage they're going to they're gonna do that. So then it's about how we scramble and get back and, and we've got to impose ourselves on them as well in terms of um, bringing our game to them. So, yeah, they're a good side at the moment. A lot of players have come out of Super Rugby and a lot of players playing in France too. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be an exciting challenge that we're really looking forward to. The All Blacks enter the competition with doubtful fans following their 35-7 loss to South Africa two weeks ago. All Black coach Ian Foster says he's never been involved in a match that's received so much hype. They play in front of an 80,000-strong crowd at Stade de France. Foster says he can't recall a World Cup build-up at this level. My third World Cup, I've never seen a build-up for a game like this one. I've never seen people put so much on it. I've, I think the fact that it's a home nation who have got strong expectations of winning it and it's against a team that the public's got a lot of respect for, so it's a, it's well scripted. Samoa will face Chile next weekend on September 17th, whilst Tonga play Ireland on the same day. That's Pacific Ways for today. Don't forget you can listen back on rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, till fast week four.